You're about to listen to Grace Pills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor at Caris Center International. Reverend Josh Lai is a preacher of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed as you listen. I speak with grace that only God supplies. Thank you for the revelation of your word in clarity, of thought, of purpose, of understanding, and of expression. Thank you for the revealing of your word in light. No ambiguities, no errors, no contradictions. The word of God shall be divided precisely and accurately in the knowledge of Christ. May we be edified because your word is glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right. So we're looking at the part two of the face of God honoring the man to honor the word. The face of God honoring the man to honor the word, part two. All right. Psalm 68, verse 6 to 7. Psalm 68, verse 6 to 7. God places the solitary in families and gives the desolate a home in which to dwell. He leads the prisoners out to prosperity. Please, prosperity there does not necessarily mean material blessing. So, note it. It looks like the moment people see prosperity, their mind goes to material what? Blessing. Yes. That's not it. So, Okay, yes. But the rebellious dwell in the patched land. Oh God, when you went forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, pause and calmly think of that. I told you that's what Selah means. Pause and reflect. Okay, so anywhere you see Selah, it means pause and what? Reflect. Okay, so now this is David speaking of the church of Christ. So David prophesied. He said, God places the solitary in what? In families. So he's talking about we getting born again and will be placed in the spiritual family. So the church is a spiritual word family. And he said, God does not like the isolated one. So it is not good. It is not in order to be born again and not be part of a church. Yeah. It's not in, you are out of order. Praise God. So David here, you can see clearly, he says, but the rebellious dwell in a patched land. So it is rebellious to be isolated without a spiritual family when you're born again. Praise God. So he's referring to the local church. And if you have been in church for quite some time, you will know what the spiritual family does. And for me particularly, it's been a great blessing. So sometimes I get shocked when people um, say so much about church against church and, and it makes it feel like church is useless. Church is nothing. You can, you can live your life. You don't need to, you know. And all of these, they are saying to a point to say that these pastors are wasting your time. True or false? Yeah, all right. And it is one of the 
major tricks of the enemy. Okay. All right. Now, so if people talk about the, the imperfections of church people and of pastors and all of that, um, it is very hypocritical. True or false? Why is it hypocritical? Because perfection is only found in heaven. As a matter of fact, God does not expect perfection from you. If you think that's God's expectation of you, you will live in frustration. He wouldn't have given us Christ. He expects you to grow into maturity. He doesn't expect perfection because you can't. That's why he paid for your sins, past, present, and what? Future. Is that very clear? Okay, right. So it's hypocritical. And they have an expectation that is false. All right? Okay. So even Jesus never encouraged isolation or solitariness. As a matter of fact, when he began his ministry, you know, he picked a team. Okay? And amongst all of these were unstable, dishonest, unfaithful people, just like we have discussed. Yet, he met with them regularly, and they had fellowship. So Jesus didn't stop his church and said, you, because you are this, no church. Because you are that, no church. He met with them, taught them, trained them. Even the last period of his death, burial, resurrection, they hit him with the hardest, true or false. They all scattered and left him, true or false. But when he rose, he went back for his church. And actually said, and Peter too, for them to know that he's not mad at them, he still loves them. And they are the reason he came. Praise God. So you see, the church is not filled with perfect people. And if you come to church expecting that, you will live in offense. And the fact that you are living in offense tells you how imperfect you are. Because a perfect person can never be hurt. A perfect person can never be offended. And that's why God is perfect. And so if you see people saying God is offended, they don't know the character of God. Because you cannot be perfect and still be offended. Are you getting it? That's not God. That's your imagination of him, but that's not him. <laughs> so change your concept of God. It will help you yourself. Is that very clear? So, so if you look at that and you're not careful, you will see church as what it is not. And you'll be expecting so much that can easily drown your faith and cause you to be stagnant and live in unnecessary bitterness. Praise God. Oh, praise God. Are you getting the point? Yes. Now, there is an expectation, but it is not an expectation of perfection. Clear. So, look at Acts 1, 3 to 4. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, talking about the Christ. His suffering in the garden. So, you can see them, right? He showed himself alive after and his his suffering in the garden of the cross by a series of many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences, infallible proofs, appearing to what? Is it one person? Appearing to what? Appearing to what? So appearing to the church, clear. Okay. During 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom. So this is where he actually started explaining to them all that has been written from Genesis to Malachi about his dead burial and what? Resurrection. And he says the scriptures testify of who? Him. What about him? 
what he came to do. Now, let me chip this in so it can help all of you. If you pick the Bible and you start teaching about money, if you pick the Bible and you start teaching about architecture, you are going to have problems. Because that's not the purpose and the reason for the Bible. The Bible is to testify about the dead burial resurrection of Christ. Listen very carefully. And the restoration of man to God through the Christ. Is there architecture in the Bible? Yes. Is there business in the Bible? Yes. But it is not the fulcrum of the story. It is not the focus of the story. It is an event within which men lived and transacted business, built houses, but in that they are telling the story of God becoming man to redeem man. So if I'm a movie writer, a script writer of a movie, there is no way I can write the movie without discussing the events of men. But within the events of men, I have a focus. Is that clear? So, for example, if you read Genesis, it gives you a lot of things that were created. But it doesn't give you everything that was created. Because that's not the purpose. Otherwise, the Bible would not have been readable. If all the animals and the birds that were created were stated in the Bible, tell me how. Are you here? Because the purpose is not biology. The purpose is not how many old the years are. And the world is or the earth is. That's not the purpose. So you will see that Cain went to marry and they didn't show how there were people before. And then somebody will say, ah, but they are very inconsistent. Ah, why are you thinking foolishly? Because even my daughter knows that it takes a man and a woman to give birth. So why would they leave that out of the Bible? Because they know that even children will question this. Ah, are you here with me? Does it make sense? Yes. That, oh, so daddy, if Adam and Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel, firstborn, secondborn, Claire. Uh-huh. So, where did Cain marry? How did Cain marry? You don't understand. The movie writer is writing the story. And then you see in three editions, you don't hear of the son or the daughter of that man. All of a sudden, they appear. You don't say the movie is inconsistent because the focus of the movie is not on the son. Does that make sense? <laughs> so, if you say Adam and Eve, gave birth to Cain and Abel, and they were biologically, that's not what the Bible wanted to do. The Bible is telling you that Cain and Abel stands for two patterns. So he's not giving you a historical, biological background of Adam and Eve. He's giving you the pattern that the world is made of. The pattern of light and darkness. The pattern of belief and unbelief. Do you find them in Cain and Abel? In the world, there are going to be two patterns. Light or darkness. That you find in Genesis 1 verse 1 to 3. <laughs> Do you have the understanding now? And that's why you see that even in the genealogy, they wrote the genealogy in such a way that it traces from Abel or from Abraham to the Christ. Right after the Christ, what happens? Did you see anybody's genealogy again? Because the Christ has what? Come. The reason for... So the movie writer has now brought the hero. So all that he was tracing 
is to bring you the hero of the book, of the, of, of the movie. The moment the hero appears, that's it. He's done the job. Are you getting it? Is it very, very clear? Okay. So, so don't let, that's why, that's why it's very important. And I'm going to show you that if you don't understand, ask, but you don't listen to everybody. And for most of us, you see, you listen to bits and pieces, but you must listen with intense meditation. Yesterday, I was telling somebody, my Baba, and I said, listen, the special truth of God in every human being, because he breathed the breath of life into your soul. Did you hear what I said? So every human being knows God. How do they know God? They know God by the trees, by the river, true of all. So our oh, mothers of old and fathers of old will say that there's God. You see the mountain. So they look at these things and they say there is God because there's an impression in their soul. But God wants people to know him by, through his spirit in them. So when you are born again, then you are able to know God for who he is. And the full image of God, which is his spirit in you, has been documented in his word. So like a man buys a land and cannot vividly describe the land, although he bought it, an architect or a draftsman describes the land he has bought for him, which is the full image of the land he has bought. It becomes the deed. It becomes the written document of the land he has bought. It becomes the authentication of it. Is that true? So when they look at the document, they can describe their land. In the same way, salvation is given the believer. In salvation, the spirit of God, which is the full image of God, dwells. But man cannot describe this image of God, this God that is living inside of him. The Bible gives you the written document that if you study it and you are taught well, you will know God for yourself. So we know God in his word. How do we do that? There is a family. In the family, there's the pastor. The pastor teaches you like the architect. Although the land is yours, he describes the land for you. Accurately does that. Skillfully does that. Although your body is yours. And there's something in your body. The surgeon does that. He dissects skillfully and carefully takes it out. So your body can be better. Is that true? Is it not your body? But you hand it over to the surgeon. Does the surgeon not have flaws? But you're not afraid. You are able to lie down. And they kill you. Yes. When I say they kill you, you understand it. So you go dead for like six hours. And you believe that you come back. So, so Jesus instituted the church, the spiritual family, and he never moved away from that. It was something that was on his heart because if we don't have the family, then there's something that is going to happen and we're going to see it because that's the reason why the church is the way it is because we don't have good understanding of him regarding what he left for us. Praise God. Paul took note of this very salient and pertinent fact of redemption. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 to 7. And also that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12. Praise God. So he appeared to the 12. Then later, he showed himself to more than 500 brethren at one time, majority of whom are still alive, 
but some have fallen asleep in death. Afterwards, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, that is the special messengers. Praise God. Did you see Jesus appearing to his church? Did you see that? Oh, did you see that? So you can see in every, at every point, even after his resurrection, he made sure that the church was running. Amen. If you look at the entire book of Acts, you see this word, we, for witnesses of his resurrection, rather than me. Rather than what? Me. So it's not a personal, just a personal thing. Look at Acts 2, 1 to 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing of the violent tempest blast, and it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. So they were all what? Assembled. That's church. Amen. Together in one place. They were all what? Assembled. They were all what? Did it happen on the day of Pentecost to one person in a private place? It happened to them when they were all together. Assembled in one place. Is that clear? So, was, is it a manufacturing company and it appeared there? No. Was it on internet? It was a physical gathering. True or false? Okay, good. Look at Acts 4, 23. After they were permitted to go, the apostles returned to their own company. Their own company here refers to the church. They came back to gather again as a church and told all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. If you read further, you see that the whole church, it will tell you, the whole church lifted up their voice in prayer. And the place was filled with the Holy Ghost. Eh? And they were bold. Praise God. Okay. Look at Acts 19 and 919. I'm just giving you evidences of scripture to know that the church is important, very important. After he took some food, he was strengthened. For several days afterward, he remained with the disciples at Damascus. Who is he talking about? Apostle Paul. When Saul became Paul, he was with the disciples. He was with the, he was, was he just alone? No. So Apostle Paul was not alone. He was with the church until he went to Arabia. He was with the church. That's why from Arabia, he came back to the church. Acts chapter 13. He came, met the chief apostle Peter privately. They spoke and he came back to the church. And then in the church, they were praying. Bible said they were ministering to the Lord. The word diaconia, with deacon, the same word deacons. What it means that they were administering the spirit in the church. And then in the ministration, through fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit said, send, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for a special ministry. So the church sent them what? Out. Who sent them out? Praise God. Is that very clear? Okay, good. Philemon, Philemon. Before I take that, did you realize that all the letters were written to local churches or persons in authority? Maybe the pastor of that church so that it will be read to the church. And if it's something that is very private, it was written to the pastor so the pastor can deliver it the way he has to to the church. Praise God. Okay. Philemon, one. He has only one chapter. And Aphia, our sister, 
and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the Christian warfare, and to the church assembly that meets in your house. So the letter was written to what? The church. Clear. The church that meets in your house. So it was the gathering of believers, but they were meeting in somebody's what? House. Is that very clear? So Philemon was, wasn't loose. A loose canon on social media. Yeah. Say, so, oh, when I listen to the pastor on social media, I've gone to church. You have not gone to church. You have not. No, you have not. And if that's what you continually do, you know why you are doing that. You know why you're doing that. It's like a family member who doesn't want to be responsible. True of all. Yeah. They always give excuses. They don't want to be accountable. Hey, are you here with me? Okay. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 and 26. Therefore, if the whole church, if the whole church assembles and all of you speak in unknown tongues, and the ungifted and uninitiated or unbelievers come in, will they not say you are demented? So he referred to the church here, right? Also, Paul is subscribing to the church. Okay. If the whole church assembles. So it means in their days, the church was assembling. Hello. Okay. 26. What then, brethren, is the right cause? When you meet together. When you meet together. When you meet together. Not on WhatsApp. Not emails. When you meet together. When you meet together. When you meet together. Okay. So, let me ask you this. When the letters were written to the churches, letters have been written. The moment they got the letters, don't you think they should stop church? Because what has to be communicated has been what? But they were meeting. Because the body of Christ must always come together until Christ comes. <laughs> Praise God. Yes. Yes. Otherwise, what we'll be doing is to write into each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll be writing letters to one another. And we say, we're having church. So you sit at your home. And then I send you a letter. Say, hi, brethren. <laughs> it is the will of God that we are not in solitary places. Praise God. What does the church do? It provides accountability, submission, mutual fellowship. Above all, spiritual growth and development. It provides accountability, submission. Mutual fellowship and above all, spiritual growth and development. Who does apprenticeship online? <laughs> I'm asking. So if you are a disciple, which means apprenticeship, how do you do it just online? How do you learn from your master? Hello? With all the IT gadgets and everything, you'll be short of so much. <laughs> Praise God. So because of that, spiritual growth has been committed to men. See, it has been committed to men in these assemblies to be ministered to us. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us. Did you see that? Christ, who has varied gifts, he himself appointed and gave men to us. So who gave men to the church? So it means that 
If churches are constitutional regarding God's institution, then pastors are also so. Does it make sense? He said it. Some prophets, some to be apostles, special messengers. Some prophets, inspired preachers and expounded. Expounders. You see what prophet means here? You see what prophet means? Did you just see it? It's not mentioning Lotto Nomes. Yeah. And the next contract you are getting. Oyeshi. 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 Because he told you of the next contract. Oyeshi. They are inspired preachers. And what? Expounders. Expounders of what? Of the word. Of the truth of the knowledge of God. Go to Revelations. Said. Jesus Christ is the testimony of true prophecy. Or the testimony of true prophecy is what? Jesus Christ. Some evangelists, they are preachers of what? The gospel. Traveling missionaries. Some pastors, shepherds of his flock who are teachers. So pastors and teachers come together. Praise God. Yes. Use the Cairo rule. Pastors who are teachers. So it's a fourfold ministry, not a fivefold ministry. Look at verse 12. Why did he give us to you? Read it yourselves. Go. His intention was what? The perfecting. The word perfecting is the word maturing. Hello? Good. Maturing and the full equipping of what? The saints. Who are the saints? His conceit. Created people. So you are God's consecrated people. Praise God. That they should do the work of ministry toward building up Christ's body. What is Christ's body? Clear. Say this is God's intention. Or say it like you mean this is God's intention. I'm going to show you something from Hebrews 13, 17. I'm going to build upon it and we'll stop. We'll have to stop. I'll continue next week. Look at Hebrews 13. 17. So if that's what is God's intention, that we should equip you and make sure that you mature and you grow spiritually, the Hebrew writer will go further. What does he say? Obey your spiritual leaders and do what? And submit to them. Let's continue. Go. Continually recognizing their authority over you, for they are constantly Keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual what? Welfare. As men will have to render an account of their trust. Hello? So what's the part you do? Go. So say, I will do my part. Say, I will do my part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning. For that would not be profitable to me. Hello? Now, if you're not careful, you don't understand this. What does it mean by watching over your soul? The word watch in the Greek is the word agriponosi. Agriponosi. Or from the word agriponia. It means to be awake. Say to be awake. Oh, say to be awake. To be watchful. To be vigilant. So you see, the pastor must be vigilant, watchful, alert over your soul. How does he do that? How is the pastor 
vigilant, alert, and watchful over your soul. He said that when you are sleeping, then the pastor is watching over your soul. (laughs) Praise God. Look at the word account. As men who will have to render an account, the word that is there, written in the English language as account, will shock you. Is the word logon. Logon. Which came from the word logos. Written word. Spoken word. Which is also the Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Is that very clear? Is that very clear? Yes. So in the beginning was the word. The word is what? The Christ, the Logos, the subject matter. Praise God. Oh, praise God. So you see, the pastor watches over your soul and has to render account regarding the Logos, the word that he teaches you. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? So how effective and efficient and impactful your leaders in the church are is determined by how they are feeding you with Christ. Who is his word? And that is how they will render account over your soul. So they feed your soul with the word, with the subject matter of life, with the reason for life. And that is how they are accountable. They don't teach you about agronomy, about how much money you should be making, about how efficient you must be in what you call your field of endeavor. No, they feed your soul with the reason for life who is Christ. The Logos. Praise God. Oh, do you understand the point? Is it very clear? Look at the word unprofitable. He said, do your part. To let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning. For that would not be profitable to you either. The word unprofitable is the word alicetilis. Yes, alicetilis. Bringing in no revenue is a transactional word. Or profit, useless transaction. Detrimental, sorry, detrimental. Something that will be detrimental, maybe to your health. In this case, to your spiritual growth. Ruinous. Ruin. Something that ruins. Or disastrous. So the Hebrew writer is saying, if the believers do not honor the word the pastor speaks to them about Christ, and they receive it gradually, they don't adhere to it, And the pastor is frustrated. Their souls will not be nourished well. It will lead to their own ruin. The ruining of their spiritual lives. Did you see that? Are you seeing that? So they themselves are crippling their spiritual life. And they are making their spiritual life unprofitable. Hello. So get this. If I speak to you the word, Christ has given you the inheritance. Healing is yours. You doubt what I just told you. The word I spoke will not be profitable to you. Is that a simple analogy? So the benefit that you must derive from the word 
which is the ministry of the pastor, becomes unprofitable to you. So you are the one who is losing. What happened? You did not honor the man. So you did not honor the word. And therefore, you lost the benefit. You were unprofitable. Does the word itself carry profit? Does it? But who lost out on the profit? Why? I did not receive it. Praise God. Is God good all the time like you normally say? So why are things not going the way they must go? Why are you not getting the profit you must get from God? Who is his word? Because you don't honor the word. Who speaks the word? Your past. Praise God. So if you honor the pastor's word, you will honor God and you would take the prophets. Praise God. And is that very clear? Look at James 3, verse 1 to 2. Let's all read this. Very crucial. Look at it. Go. Not many of you should become teachers. Self-constituted senses and reprovers of others. My brethren, for you know teachers that we teachers will be judged by a higher standard and with greater severity than other people. Thus, we assume the greater accountability and the more condemnation. So the honor of a pastor is in his word because it is by his word that he will be judged. And that is why you can see false doctrines flying. And when Jesus came, he spoke clearly about false prophets and false teachers than he spoke regarding the work of the devil. Because it is their word from Genesis where the devil added to scripture and changed the word and taught them a different thing. So the devil in Genesis, who is the serpent, are you getting the point? Symbolism. Actually took the form of a false teacher. And that is what brought the fall of man. So out of that comes false doctrine. Are you hearing me? And that is what makes God's word of no effect. So a pastor is judged by the integrity of the word. Did you hear what I just said? How they divide the word of God with clarity and precision and saying exactly what the scripture means and what Christ is, how Christ is revealed clearly, consistently. We don't preach African gospel, Arabian gospel. We preach Christ and the gospel is the same everywhere. It does not change. Are you here with me? And so you see, when you have a pastor who is teaching according to the integrity of the word, what it means is that when he speaks, he speaks God. He's speaking exactly the mind of God. He's speaking exactly the character of God. He's speaking exactly the image of God. So when you honor the word, you honor God. How do you bring it into context? Look at what he says in the next. Look at the next verse so you know exactly what he was saying. For we all often what? Stumble and fall. And what? 
offend in many things. Watch this. Go. And if anyone does not offend in speech, never says the wrong things. Did you hear that? So the offense is in what they say. And he's actually talking about false doctrine. The offense there is like missing the mark, which is the logos, the Christ. So he says, as for stumbling, we all stumble. Do you, do you understand the point? Yes, we all do something wrong. Are you getting it? <laughs> yes. So he says, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what they teach, what they say. That is what gives the stricter judgment. Are you getting the point? And then he goes to tell us, listen, he said, he is a fully developed character and a perfect man, able to control his whole body to curb his entire nature. If he knows what to say, what the logos is, divides it accordingly, he's mature. Because listen, as a pastor and a teacher, you'll be tempted to speak about yourself. You'll be tempted to speak about what people call their need. The crowd will always want you to tell them how their business is going to be fine. Hey, hello. But as a pastor, you must be fully developed by holding your speech and making sure you say what God wants you to say. He says, then you are mature. Can you see the consistency of scripture? Let me give you the last and then we'll close for today. We'll continue next week. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27. This is Apostle Paul. Now, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath. Now, get a reward, a prize. That will soon wither. <laughs> but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness. Oh, praise God. 26. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. Paul says, what I must teach, I'm called to, is like a syllabus. It's a course. I don't teach what I like to teach. Are you getting the point? I don't say what I just want to what. Watch this. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. When the boxer is training, there is an image before him. Sometimes it's a, it's a this thing. What they call it is a, a, this huge thing with foam in it and it's very heavy. And then they'll be beating it. They'll be beating it. So he sees it before him, right? As the opponent. And as he beats it, he beats his opponent. Strategizes skillfully and carefully. Is that clear? Yes. If you're an athlete, you're also in your lane. You are looking at the lane. You don't cross to lane five when you have been put in lane one. True or false? Okay, yes. There are rules to the running. Clear? Yes. Apostle says there are rules to the calling. <laughs> we don't preach whatever. So, look at the next. But like a boxer, I buffet my body. Handle it roughly. Discipline it by hardships. Subdue it for fear that after proclaiming, speaking, proclaiming to others the gospel, and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit. Not stand the test, 
be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. Are you here? Our honor is not in any other thing but the word. And if you honor the pastor via the word, you honor God. And you profit via the word. Oh, praise God. Are you here with me? I pray that you gain more understanding. Praise God. Have you been blessed? Grace, glorious grace At the cross You called it finished Thank you for listening to Grace Bills by Reverend Josh Lai Lead Pastor, Caris Center International We believe the word has begun a good work in you May God's amazing grace lead you to a peaceful and joy-filled life Caris Center International Living heaven on earth Come.